The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnett. Now, I don't know most of you personally, but I'd like to think that if we met, we could be friends, or at least friendly. That gap between friendliness and friendship is an interesting one. We've talked a lot on this show about the power of relationships, how having strong connections with your close friends and family members is a major contributor to your health, longevity, and overall life satisfaction. But according to my guest today, the psychologist David Myers, that's only part of the story. It's also important to have good micro-friendships, as he calls them. Those little interactions with people you know only slightly, or not at all, they can have a powerful impact. You surely can recall brief conversations with strangers that left you feeling cheerful, perhaps after providing directions to someone on the street. But the happy insight of a bunch of recent experiments is that such fleeting interactions can brighten other people's day and your own to a surprising degree. In one experiment by Nicholas Epley and his University of Chicago colleagues, commuters were offered a $5 gift card to either do as they would normally do on their train or bus, or sit in solitude, or strike up a conversation with a stranger. Now, participants in this third condition presumed the attempted conversation would be awkward but in reality, it seldom was. Moreover, they then exited their ride in a happier mood. Similarly, other experiments have revealed a mood boost among people who banter with a barista when buying a cup of coffee or give a compliment to a stranger they're passing on the street or who, in in an experiment at a Turkish university, go out of their way to offer a friendly greeting to their campus bus driver. In other experiments, People were induced to reach out to friends with whom they'd not been in recent contact, with a text, an email, or a brief call. And more than the sender expected, the recipients were appreciative and pleased and grateful. Indeed, in all these studies, small acts of kindness left both the giver and the recipient feeling better, and more so than they expected. And this was even so for introverts. I wondered if my friends could recall such experience, so I asked a number of them. Can you recall happy instances of humanizing brief interactions, either as a giver or as a receiver? I got dozens of heartwarming replies. Many recalled the happy results of reaching out to homeless people or grocery store clerks or tradespeople or taxi drivers or fellow hikers and campers and dog walkers or just the person ahead of them in the checkout line. So the practical moral is, push your comfort zone. Go out of your way to chat up the rideshare driver to ask the checkout clerk how their day is going, to check in with an old friend. For by so doing, you'll brighten their day and your own. And that's an insight from the happy science of micro-friendships. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the importance of relationships. You know, they, they are more vital to our lives, to our health and happiness than we realize. But I like that you zero in on this idea of micro friendships. You know, it's one thing to focus on our our love relationships, our 
close friendships. But there's also a real value in these brief encounters, these casual interactions we have with people. Can you say why micro-friendships are something we should probably pay more attention to? Well, Aristotle had the idea long ago, uh, Michael, that we're social animals. Without friends, he said, uh, no one would choose to live. And indeed, uh, the worst punishment is to be in solitary confinement. It's to be cut off from others. Mm -hmm. uh, our ancestors were group-dwelling people. I mean, they hunted, they shared with one another, they protected each other in social groups. And so we, as their descendants, have this deep need to belong, as social psychologists today are calling it. Mm -hmm. And we have so much evidence that close, supportive relationships are contributive to our health and our well-being. And so cut off from relationships, as we were during the pandemic, even fleeting social relationships took a real toll on the mental health of Americans and people worldwide, as a matter of fact. And so these micro-relationships are also important. They're not close, intimate, deep relationships, mm -hmm. but they're part of our being social animals. And if we'll take the initiative to reach out, as people in these experiments were coaxed into doing, we really brighten others' lives and we brighten our own as we do so. Do you have any examples of good micro-friendships in your own life? Oh, yes. So uh, I was just uh, at a coffee shop this past weekend and talking with a person who owns the coffee shop mm -hmm. about what a wonderful place this is. And I was having her uh, look over my shoulder to see this business relationship developing, this person working, this young couple falling in love, all these wonderful small relationships. And it was my relationship with her, the shop owner at the same time, that left her feeling good and left me feeling good. Mm -hmm. Or just in my college dining hall, there's the person that checks me in every day and have a brief conversation with him. And over time, we've sort of become friends. Those little relationships add up to something significant in human life. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the evolutionary science behind this, and I I think that has been confirmed that, you know, not all species are social, but we belong to one that definitely is, and it's it's woven deep into our genes, this need to connect and to be in relationship with other people. What makes me curious then is why so many of us are resistant to these micro-friendships in a way. You know, I, I personally find it challenging to strike up a conversation with the cab driver or the person next to me on the plane. Do you have that that shyness as well? Or Sure. Some of us are more natural introverts. It can feel a little awkward to kind of initiate a conversation if we're not sure the other person would really like that. But what these experiments show is that when people will push themselves beyond their comfort zone to do so, the results are overwhelmingly positive. Both the recipient of that overture and oneself end up feeling better for that brief, friendly interaction with the person ahead of you in the coffee line or... Uh, as so many of my Facebook friends told me stories when I asked them to give me examples from their lives, there's just so many really kind of significant conversations sometimes mm -hmm. happen spontaneously. But we have to take initiative. We have to reach out and touch somebody. Yeah, and as you say, it's usually, we think it's going to be a lot more awkward than it usually ends up being once we get it going, right? Exactly. That's what the researchers found. They thought, oh, this is going to be so hard to do. But once they did it, they were glad they did. My next Big Idea Club colleague, Rufus Griscom, has a strategy 
where when he's on a plane, he does not strike up a conversation with the person next to him until the pilot tells them to put their trays in the upright position. In other words, as the plane is landing, he'll strike up a conversation because that puts a nice time limit on it, you know? It, it, he's not going to be stuck with some boring person for, for hours, but for a nice, nice 15 minutes of chat can happen. Coincidentally, you'd say that, Michael, because as we were talking, I was thinking about planes as a place where I, I really have planned to get work done and I don't want to spend the hour talking to somebody. But I will chat up, you know, are you home now or, you know, something like that mm -hmm. just as we're landing. And then there's there's constraints that then constrains that as a micro relationship. But it is a relationship. Yes. OK. Rufus's strategy might go mainstream yet. It's, it's funny, though, because I was reflecting on the fact that we currently have so many forces pulling us in the opposite direction. You know, we, you can sit on that plane and you can entertain yourself with movies, books, podcasts. There are so many things in our digital lives now that kind of pull us away from micro-friendships. That is a very good point. And in fact, that is at the heart, many of my social psychologists believe, of the mental health crisis among teens today, especially teen girls, because the growth in social media, which is absorbed now so much of their time, has subtracted from other good things, certainly sleep, reading, but also face-to-face -face relationships are impoverished, and that's what we're designed for. Moreover, of course, social media allow a kind of social comparison that leads everybody to feel like they're less attractive than others and they're having less fun than everybody else is exhibiting on their social mm -hmm. media. So clearly technology has eroded the extent of our face-to-face micro-relationships that are really important for human flourishing. Yeah. I mean, it's become, for example, socially acceptable to walk around with earbuds in all the time. I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. And be, with, with all the podcasts that I personally listen to, with all the streaming entertainment, it's possible to kind of have the illusion of being in relationship, right? Because you're hearing a voice in your head. You're, you feel like you're interacting with people, and maybe that satisfies that sort of evolutionary need in some ways, but we're not really connecting. We're not having actual two-way communication with other beings. Sure. So I'm on a college campus, Hope College, and I see students walking across campus with their noses in their phones rather than making eye contact with one another. Or during the break in the in a long class that's there to help students stretch, go to the bathroom and chat with one another. Everybody just pulls out their phone and stares at it. Yeah. That's really kind of too bad. That's a missed opportunity for relationship. We're made with this deep need to belong, to connect with one another in face-to-face, real-time relationships. The technology is great if it's used smartly, but it can drain our great need to belong of, of those human connections that are so important. So that's why we need to live intentionally to manage our use of time and to make smart use of today's technology. Yes, you hear that everybody, get your nose out of that phone, make eye contact with someone, it's good for you. Okay, so there's your tip for today. Take out those earbuds, take a chance and say hi to that random stranger. They might look at you funny, but chances are their day and yours will be better for it. So don't be afraid. Tomorrow, David will be back to explain why you're probably afraid of the wrong things anyway. I'm Michael Kovnett. See you then. Mm -hmm.